Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Hey, Typology Tribe, welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality and of the human adventure through the lens of the Enneagram. We're on the show today, of course, with my good friend, producer Anthony Skinner. Hey, folks. Ian, good to be with you. Good to be with you, my brother. And today, so psyched because we have on with us Enneagram 4 with a three-wing self-preservation for, I might add, Justin Whitmel Early, <laughs> author, yes, indeed, author of the new book, the brand new book, Made for People, Why We Drift Into Loneliness, and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. Justin, welcome to Typology. I am honored to be here. I have been following your stuff for a long time, Ian, and my wife is um, my wife is really impressed that I get to talk to you. So I'm going to be live texting her for her Enneagram diagnoses on me while we talk. <laughs> Good. We'll continue. <laughs> Just tell us more about how much you like us. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as an Enneagram 4, we are just a deep, bottomless chasm of self loathing. So we would appreciate it if you just kept uh, drilling down and filling us with the love that we didn't get as children. Okay, moving I'm on. Excited, I'm excited about I'll just have to say, when we get to, we're going to get to the book on this, the, the back half of this show. But uh, I've been reading up on the book, Justin and Ian and I had a little conversation beforehand. We're excited to uh, to dig into that as well. So, looking forward to it. I'm excited too. I, I'm now. I have a theory about how all my writing is just this trajectory from my enneagram types, but I want to find out if if it's true or not. So I'm going to trust Ian you to clarify that for me. Well, I mean, it's very interesting, right? I mean, um, we've had so many authors on the show whose Enneagram types are so revealed in the titles of their books. It's unbelievable. Remember when we had, wasn't it, wasn't it like Annie Downs had a book about having fun and she's an Enneagram seven. Do you remember that? I was literally no lie uh, about three days ago telling someone that this exact thing, Ian, about how many people have had these aha moments of how their book was written from their types perspective. So, yeah. Oh, I just remember certain shows where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this, you know, somebody's on the show, an eight's on the show with like crushing darkness. And you're like, well, there you go. You know, it's, uh, it's just, uh, uh, you know, anyway, it's, it, it is amazing. And actually it does make sense that an Enneagram four would take an interest in human loneliness and the need for relationships since so much of the, what's going on in the inner world of the four, the theater is in relationships. Right. And so, Mm. and of course, loneliness, a good melancholic topic for a four to to tackle, but one, and we're going to get to this, not yet. One that is actually quite fascinating to me because it is an endemic problem, not only in our culture, but, in all of Western culture, at the very least, 
And yes, yes. To, and Anthony and Justin, you probably know this uh, that you know in England they now have a minister of loneliness, like a guy mm-hmm. whose only yes. job is mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure mm-hmm. the title, his title, but he is actually in the government, an appointed minister responsible for reconnecting yeah. people in an age when that yeah. is called. And our Surgeon General here in the states is basically making that his job right now. This mm. summer of 2023, he's released a report. And his tagline everywhere um, is tackling the epidemic of loneliness, which he sees as a public health threat on the level of obesity and smoking. So it's it's out there right now. The question is, do people care? The question is, do people care? You have to get them to move on public health. And that's the that's the challenge. Anton, to encourage people to stay with this topic. And this is like from Dr. Chip Dodd's framework but the gift of loneliness is connection so it's it's important to connect with your loneliness because it ultimately leads to connection which is a wonderful thing so Mm. yeah and then we'll also then anthony now that you've said that we'll we'll also dip into the topic of uh, loneliness and addictions that's pretty Mm. fascinating the relationship between loneliness and addictions and connections so all right that aside, it's coming up. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Let's first talk about Justin Early's deep inner world. Let's start with the question, Anthony, that I often like to start with, which is, Justin, are you in therapy? I am not currently in therapy unless you consider my weekly conversations with my two best friends therapy, which I almost do. So, <laughs> Okay. If you were to tell me the central issue of concern that you have about your personal development. What do, you, what do you think it would be right now? My central issue of concern for my personal development is how to move out of my dangerous interior world and into a world of safety, which for me, I think, is a world of uh, structure on the one hand and relationship on the other. So mm. the spiritual disciplines and one of those being vulnerable relationships are things that I feel like keep me safe. And I feel like in my internal world, um, I'm at risk. I think we're doing therapy live because I don't know. I've never expressed that before. (laughs) That's okay. So uh, when you use the phrase dangerous inner world, that, that certainly throws a flag up my pole. What does that mean? I often have the feeling that, um, left, left to myself, I don't think about the world accurately. Um, or, yeah, a key part of my struggle in my early 30s, I'm now 38, was an anxiety crash that um, left me uh, very, very anxious, left me coping uh, as a nervous medicating young lawyer, needing a couple of drinks or a sleeping pill to go to bed, and left me with intrusive thoughts in my inner world that were that you know we're, we're at, at times actually dangerous but when the bottom fell out and i realized it was just me and my spiraling thoughts in my head i thought this is this is it, it's where i don't think right and it's where actually it gets physically dangerous if i don't get out of it um mm. so i'm kind of speaking from that I'm, I'm eight years past that struggle but i've lived much of my life and wrote most of my books out of where i feel like the lord has brought me since then mm. What was that statement you just made about when I let go, something about your inner world went left alone? Left alone to my inner thoughts. Um, I feel like they're in charge. I'm not, and they're not necessarily accurate. So that's, that's the it. The reality. The, the, 
Right. And so that really does speak, it's a very profound statement, right? That part of the reason that we need other people is left alone with our own thoughts. Uh, we can get lost in unreality. And as Thomas mm-hmm. Merton said, nothing is, can be more dangerous to the human soul than to be lost in unreality, particularly spiritual unreality. So, mm-hmm. yes. Well, that's interesting. So, uh, it also sort of parallels something Anthony and I were talking about today that, you know, all types have different focuses of attention, like things that they pay attention to. And I won't go too far into this, but it, it's worth mentioning, right? Like there are three different types that are very self-referencing, right? They're very concerned about their own inner world. Then you have others that are very other-referencing, and they are more concerned with the inner worlds of other people. And then you have mm-hmm. others that are ping-pong between the two concerns. Mm. And so for uh, self-referencing types are fours, fives, and sevens. And then uh, other referencing types uh, would be uh, twos, threes, and nines. And then the, the types that uh, you know, kind of ping-pong back and forth are ones, sixes, and eights. And so I throw that out there just as a little teaching moment for our people listening, but also as a way to hook into something you said, which Mm -hmm. is that you as a four tend to be very referenced on your own inner experience, right? Mm -hmm. Which of course can devolve in an unhealthy way to self-absorption and and, and melancholy and I suppose sort of maybe even depressive anxiety, sort of the mix of depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me about the inner world. You just told me what it was like eight years ago. What's it like now? What like what's it like to what's your inner world look like? What's in there? Yeah. Well, so the the quick trajectory of that my story is that I was a missionary in my early twenties, and then I decided I felt called to law school, and it was right at the pivot of law school and lawyering. My first year as a lawyer, that I had this anxiety collapse that I told you about, where I just totally fell apart. And this is extraordinarily condensing the story. But I realized through that struggle that I had my worldview really 100% on. I was a man of the mind. You know, I learned a lot uh, in my missionary years in law school. But I had assimilated my life of habit to modern lawyering and law school, um, which is, you know, just sort of like the white collar pace of life on crack. I mean, I was always on my phone, always distracted, always adding more to my schedule. And I, in retrospect, I see a lot of those habits shaped me in anxiety. And my life, build, you know, building out of that, I had a, an incredible spiritual epiphany that I think my, my head could go one way towards good worldview. My habits could go the other way towards, you know, constant rush and busyness and distraction. And my heart would tag along with those habits every time. And so I, I think as a good four, always felt that I wanted the freedom to do whatever, whatever I wanted to do, you know, to sort of be special and do things my own way in any given moment. But my crisis led me to a place where I realized I'm not going to be healthy if I live that way. I need, mm. I need well-trodden patterns to lead me towards health. So I started leaning into the spiritual disciplines really, really intentionally. That was my first book, The Common Rule. And I would say my life now, this is how <laughs> I promise I'm getting to your question. My life of inner thought now is a lot of trying to bring moments of scripture, prayer, and conversation with others into my inner life so that I don't just spin out on thoughts that I can't control. Um, My inner life is constantly otherwise worried about 
am I doing it right? Am I doing it in a way that's going to leave a legacy? I mean, in my immature state, it's like, are people noticing? Do they like me? Am I successful? Am I special enough? But now it's, 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 I try to interrupt those patterns of thoughts with what does scripture say about me? What do my friends think about this pattern of thought? Um, what, how could I take this spinning thought into prayer? And so I guess, Ian, I'm constantly thinking about trying to pull the inner world outward because that's where I find health. Hmm. Okay. Very four-ish um, and very uh, self-pressed for. So let's talk about that for a second. So for those of you, uh, you know, you were on before we started, but Anthony and I were talking about how we were looking over your press kit and uh, we were like, Ah, I bet this guy's a self-pressed four, right? With a three wing, self-pressed four with a three wing. And then you get on and I had a bet, right? That I, that I had it right. Just based on your picture actually. And on the, you know, it's a guess. I don't, not presuming I was right, but I was like, right, I, right. I got, if I got 50 bucks. So, and then sure enough, you come on and your wife, I guess is a ninja Enneagram person. And she, yes, she, she is. said you're a, a self-pressed four. And, and I want to just sort of, uh, cause you don't, Mm. your ambition there's a little bit of that three wing thing going on uh, uh with that drivenness the you know mm-hmm. all that stuff uh, actually the desire to be a white collar lawyer all that you are the mm. counter type of the four you are not a social four so you don't uh you, the, the self-pressed four tends to be long suffering and, and others don't see the suffering they don't see mm. it. the the, the self-pressed four definitely experiences it but doesn't show it to others. Social force shows it to others. Yeah, I, my wife says I hate, that's why I hate complaining. So she says, you tell me, I, I don't like to tell people or show people that it's hard. I like to, to, to try yeah. to barrel through it. Um, yeah. is, that, is that part of the people yeah. don't know? Fours uh, are, the, are more stoic uh, yes. and, and, and strong in the face of their own pain than the other two mm-hmm. fours are. Right. It's and, and the deadly sin of envy is much less apparent in the self-pressed four than it is in the other two, though you experience it. In, you, know, yeah. you might experience it internally, but less so than mm-hmm. uh, than the other two for sure. And I think um, we don't I'm one as well. So we don't communicate the same to the same degree, that kind of sensitivity and shame and envy and suffering that the other two fours do, right? And the way that we express our specialness isn't through like uh, very um, unusual clothing and weird, you know, and all that stuff that some, mm-hmm. the social four and the, the sexual four might, it really comes out more as a, a very three-ish thing, which is like, how, yes. how do I succeed Yes. Uh, in the eyes of others at the things that they think are a success yes. in order in order to compensate for the broken, lost, missing piece. This rings extremely true. I think part of my missionary self wanted to go be a lawyer because that was an unexpected move. And then part mm-hmm. of my lawyer self wants to be a writer at the same time because that's an unexpected move to the lawyer side. <laughs> my, yeah. my wife, how did she put it that I want to be I, you know, I want to be the successful, but I want to be successful in a special way. And yes. I like to be special, but I want to be successfully special. And they just, those two intermingle big time for me. Yeah. So another thing about self-pressed fours is they tend to demand a lot of themselves. Uh, they Guilty. have a, 
they have a very strong need to uh, how do I say this? A strong need to survive, to endure in the face mm-hmm. of suffering and difficulty. Uh, they put themselves in situations that are very hard. Sometimes situations that are kind of dangerous situations that they shouldn't put themselves in. Uh, um, like in yeah. terms of risk taking, they'll take risks that the other two types won't as likely. Like where were you a missionary, for example? In in, in China, uh, where it was illegal to be a missionary. And, and also I rode a motorcycle on the streets of Shanghai through China. And I was just a minute ago talked out of riding my motorcycle down to the bay where I'm going after this call. So I definitely feel like I, I'm often seen by others as don't take that risk. Um, yeah. And yet I love taking those risks. Yeah. And so I could go on and on with this. All to say, self-press fours tend to be a little bit more masochistic than they are melancholy. Yeah, that feels like an accurate diagnosis. I don't know (laughs) if it's good or bad, but it feels very accurate, yeah. Well, you were were describing, uh, you know, working around the clock uh, into a place Mm -hmm. of extreme anxiety. Uh, it sounds that sounds more self-pressed for than it does like the other two. So, again, it was a, it's a worthy exploration, and uh, uh, I'm 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 glad that I was right because that's really important to me when I go to, to one, isn't it? Anthony? Yeah, I love I love, <laughs> I love to be right. Can I ask you a question about that? Actually, because I, so a big movement of at least what I perceive to be a movement towards health for me was moving out of this, I always need to be in the realm of spontaneity, doing whatever I want towards a a real structure of the spiritual disciplines where I feel uh, kept on an ancient path that I don't have to invent, which in in my way is very a surrendering of my specialness as a four. Um, But I have heard that that, that in health, that that foreignness will move towards the one, the structure and the, the right things in the right places. And a lot of my writing until this like recent book made for people was in the realm of the spiritual disciplines, both at work and technology and, and the household or read a book on parenting. Is that, is that accurate? Is that, uh, that movement towards one something yeah. that is a sign of health as for, mm-hmm. or is it just another yeah. way to be special? <laughs> no, no, no. When you're doing great, you would move to what we call the high side of four. You look, I mean, of one. So you're going to look like a healthy one. Um, and if, when you're not doing great, you go to the low side of two. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, these are, you know, obviously stress and security points. But, um, you know, when you're not in a great place, you tend to get m- more needy, more resentful toward people who aren't paying attention to your needs. You know, you might get more clingy. You know, we can you know, depressed. We can mm-hmm. we could talk about that. You know, we're talking about security and stress points, but it's they're 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 certainly handy to know. Uh, and I know for myself, you know, when I'm in a good space, I go and I'm working. I I tend I migrate toward the high side of one, where I I get particularly disciplined and mm. um, focused. Yes, uh, I don't indulge myself. You know, it's right. It's, right. it's more like like okay damn it, I got something to do and I am going to buckle down and do it and I'm going to do it well and I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to get up at 4.30. I'm going to write every mm-hmm. day. I'm going to write starting at 6.30, you know, all that stuff. And I think uh, also, you know, it would make sense to me that you would topically be interested in those things. Um, and I'm and I'm happy to hear it because I think part of the journey of the four is to 
not that those topics make you ordinary, but it is to embrace the fact that the ordinary is extraordinary, right? Like, that's, yes. <laughs> that's I, I, the whole interest of my second book, Habits of the Household, I think was working through me trying to realize that the mundane tasks of parenting could be extraordinary moments of spiritual conversation, of spiritual formation, even though I couldn't have magical conversation with my children. I mean, they were three, you know, and, but, but, but realizing that the ordinary rhythms with them were extraordinary moments of spiritual formation. And they were extra, they were God given moments in the regular day of parenting. Um, I, I wouldn't have been able to name that that was a, a move of the four, but that was what I was searching for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. One of the lessons I've learned over the years is that not everybody benefits from a traditional 50-minute counseling session. And this is why some people can go to couples therapy or personal counseling for a long time and never really get anywhere. This is why I'm such a believer of intensive counseling and my friends at Restoring the Soul in Colorado, created by my longtime friend, Michael Cusick, to help couples or individuals experience deep change in half-day blocks over one or two weeks. Now listen, if you can't wait months or years to get to the bottom of an issue or to experience breakthrough, you need to get in touch with my friend Michael and his extraordinary team of counselors at Restoring the Soul. If you're looking to get out of the rut you're in but can't wait months or years, call Restoring the Soul today for a free consultation with Michael's staff. Call 303-932-9777 and learn how their intensive counseling process can help you. As a special bonus, just for Typology listeners, make sure to visit www.restoringthesoul.com slash typology to download their PDF called Five Ways Unaddressed Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationships. So in your journey with the Enneagram right now, like how, how is it helping you to cultivate a life that in your opinion is a life worth living? I think for me, it's been a lot of the drawing away from my inner tendencies to only think about myself and flipping me outside to think about myself in healthy patterns and and myself in a life given for others. Because as I understood, you know, when I'm when I'm at my worst, I'm totally curved inward. Of Mm -hmm. like my general um, concern is what's going on in my interior life, and I feel like when I am moving towards that upper one, as you called it, and patterning myself in the spiritual disciplines, I'm able to start to move towards other people and actually be genuinely concerned about what they're going through. Though now I've also, in moments of unhealth, I've been overly concerned of, can I fix my friends? Can I, oh, they're struggling. I need to be there at every moment for them. And I'm not sure what a lower side of the two looks like, but I've had times where People have told me, um, let's let's be accurate, where my wife has told me, you need to stop. You can't fix this. You Mm -hmm. can be there for them, but you can't fix them. And you don't need to carry their entire burden of their struggle. Mm -hmm. Anthony, were you nodding your head at that point? Yes, that is a, I mean, you were describing going to the low side of two. It's a kind of, it's a, it's, it's sort of a devolution into uh, codependency. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't be okay unless you're okay. 
Yeah. And and so that's how you approach the world. It's like I got to make you better and and that's where my self-esteem is going to come from in this moment. And mm-hmm. uh so it's not actually altruistic. There's a string attached, which is like if I can fix you, I'm going to fix me. Uh yes. and so, yes. you know, that that's where it's unhealthy. Yeah, and I've noticed that in some in my low times that my sort of voracious insatiable desire to fix somebody else which starts to look a lot like I need them to be better. Otherwise I can't be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but, but I've found, um, well, I'll say this. I, I see in my, one of my sons who's a lot like me. Um, he's always looking for the next piece of candy, the next special movie we're watching, the next outing we're doing. What's special about tonight? What's special about tonight? And my wife and I always look at each other and I think like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm always looking for what's the next exciting thing that is going to disrupt the ordinary grind of my life as a lawyer, parent, writer right now. But in health, and I think this is where, where the Enneagram has helped me, is realizing just being even keeled is a sign of health, I think, mm-hmm. for someone like me. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of try to set that as a new target. I try to tell myself, nothing could happen before you go to bed tonight, and that could still be a great night. But it's very hard for me to believe. I always am looking for the exciting thing. Um, and I'm very much like my child in that way. I don't know if you mm-hmm. have any words of wisdom for that. Is that is that my fourishness coming out? Is that three wing or? Well, sometimes it depends on the teacher. Uh, you know, uh, you fours the subtype self pres can look a lot like a seven. Mm, you we we have sort of a, a you know we, we kind of can express a need to be light at times. Mm-hmm. Um, because of all the, you know, we, we suffer, we long, we're long suffering people inside. And so periodically mm-hmm. it's like, okay, blah, you know, I need to go like go in a hot air balloon or something. And so it can look kind of sevenish, yeah. right? Uh, Actually, when of- I first read the Enneagram, that's what I thought that I was. Because um, there was this maybe hedonistic impulse to the seven I don't, um, that, that I resonated with. Like after all the, the inner wrestling and the striving of my three wing was done, I just want to go binge. Or something, well, something. yeah, and and here's how you know the difference. Sevens do not have anywhere near the kind of access to their emotions that a four does. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're yeah. not a seven. You just have some characteristic traits of a seven because of some of the internal dynamics of what happens on the inside of a four, right? It's yeah. part of a yeah, solution, yeah. right? That's and right. I, Right. They also, it's interesting that we've been talking so much about ones because the self-press four, they're very concerned with autonomy and self-sufficiency and working hard, which makes them look like a one sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, compared to a ones have, don't have that kind of access to the kinds of feelings, right? They don't, they don't go as up and down as fours do, right? Their mm-hmm. mood doesn't fly up and down anywhere near as much as a fours would. Uh, and they don't, they also don't express their feelings as openly as a four would because why, mm-hmm. particularly dark emotions. Why? Because the four, the one would be thinking, I need to tamp down animal instincts and, and feelings, which if were they to be aired publicly would be deemed inappropriate. Right. Hmm. So because of being appropriate and being, you know, having all that stuff is important. To it. So they're, they're going to push those down uh, and then bring up their opposite. Right. So if yeah. they, if they're envious of somebody else, they're going to, they're going to bring it up as admiration. That'd be, you know, of that other person. So 
then it's called reaction formation. Don't need to go down that road. But all to say self-pres fours often look like threes, ones, or sevens. Or sevens, yeah. Yep. I say that. That makes sense. That makes so, sense. All right, let's talk about loneliness because I love that a four wrote a book about who better to write a book about loneliness than an Enneagram <laughs> four? Well, actually, maybe a five, except a five would talk about isolation, which is different. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a yes. self that's a self-imposed that's kind right. of a deal. And uh I, I want to know what you know, we know that this is a hot topic right now in, in mm-hmm. culture. Uh but what drew you to write about it? Well, the, the right answer is the hot topic in culture when an epidemic of loneliness and all that, blah, blah. Um, the real answer is much more local. The real answer is I personally feel like I would not be walking with the Lord the way I am today were it not for friends who kept me along this journey, who have been my guardrails, my guides, and at times just carrying me. And I look around it. It's, it could be colleagues, it could be people in my church, and it could be uh, people who are friends or used to be friends. And I see this drift of American life that, to become busier, wealthier people who used to have friends. It's, it's this unceasing current. And if you don't swim against it, you're going to become lonely, if not also isolated. And we can talk about what the, the difference is. But I... Standing where I am today, I look at the people around me and I think, man, the difference between those of us who are persevering or getting crushed by life is whether or not you're walking through life besides close friends, um, mm-hmm. people who really deeply know you. Um, because we all experience hard things. We all experience suffering. Um, we all ex- you know, mental health struggles and all that. But if you walk through it alone, you will be crushed. And I have started to see this as such a pattern Mm-hmm. And a dangerous pattern in people close to me that I, um, and it's simultaneously such a gift to me that I have in my friends. I, I felt this is almost a missing piece, uh, a missing piece of how to live well in the, in the modern moment we live in is you need to recover friendship as a spiritual practice, not as a luxury mm-hmm. that you'll get to later, but as an urgent mm-hmm. spiritual practice now. It's so interesting because, you know, uh, I guess back in probably 12th century, that uh, Aylred of Riveau, who I'm, I'm sure that you yes. read, wrote, yes. wrote a, a marvelous treatise called Spiritual Friendship. Did you ever read that, Anthony? I haven't read that. So Aylred, A-E-L-R-E-D of, I don't know how to say it, but Riveau, I guess. Uh, Riveau, like that's that. what I say too. Uh, yeah. um, and, and so this idea of spiritual friendship is, is something that, I love that you are reintroducing to the cultural conversation because um, I think we, we underestimate the importance of relationships outside of the context of marriage, for example. Yes, that's, um, a, big, that's a big emphasis for me. That's right. So, in fact, you know, it's interesting. Um, I have a friend of mine who said it's too bad that in the church we don't have a liturgy for covenantal friendships. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which I, I mean, that's a very Episcopalian thing to do because some kind of liturgical service that marks two people's commitment to a lifelong friendship. I love that. Um, in one sense, that's what I'm attempting to give in this book. There's, okay. there, there's, not a, there's not a brief sayable liturgy for that. I do give a liturgy for confession, though, between friends of, of a way of practicing becoming vulnerable. But uh, the the term that I use in this book is covenant friendship, 
Mm. Um, which, which would be very much like what Allred was talking about with spiritual friendship, but in a, in a time where a friend is something you can, a friend is something you do with a click on Facebook, right? I feel the church needs to recover the deep spirituality of friendship. And so I use the word covenant friendship as a way to describe something different, which to me, the definition is someone who knows you fully, but loves you anyway. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a reflection of the person of Jesus who knows us completely and yet loves us regardless. So when we walk that deeply with our friends, when we know really what's in their head, and that was so important to me in the struggle that I mentioned that other friends understand the depths of what I was going through and yet look at me and say, Justin, I love you and Christ loves you anyway. That was the most tangible way maybe ever that i felt the love of jesus as reflected in a real friendship and so covenant friendship is to me is a is a way to to elevate that kind of relationship and say that this is an urgent spiritual need it's also an urgent physical need but it is it is uh not something that you can live without yeah i think you ought to just very briefly just touch on the physical dimension of it because you know because of the research on loneliness just just dig in on that Sure. So the Surgeon General in the United States, and he's following what a lot of Western governments have not done. We have a lot of data in the past 10 years that is pretty new. I think it would always would have been common sense that, you know, people with close friends do better in life. But we now know empirically it's true that social isolation, that is just not being around humans enough, think of the recluse in their apartment, uh, is deadly, you know, on the level of obesity or smoking kind of public health crisis but yet so also is loneliness which is distinct that's around people but not known or understood by them so loneliness loneliness is more of an inner perception uh social isolation is more of a outward manifestation both in slightly different ways but both actually will kill you so the american lifespan for example has been going down the past five plus years and that was before covid began because of these two problems compounding on each other. And we, yeah, we now know that, okay, if we're going to live healthy lives in our bodies and healthy lives in our minds, so mental health struggles and physical health struggles, having a friend who is around is one of the healthiest things that you can do for your body. And it's also one of the healthiest things you can do for your psyche. So people who, for example, walk with friends, walk outside with another human being and actually talk to them are going to have dramatically better health impacts than somebody who just you know runs on a treadmill alone. The, and th- these are fascinating things, and they all point to, I think, the way that God designed us, which is Adam is lonely in the Garden of Eden until God gives him Eve. It, you, you can actually be lonely with God. Everything can be going right. God can be there. But if you're, if you're not with other people, then you're not relating to God the way that you were meant to relate to God. Mm-hmm. And that's a statement I think that is, that was unusual for me. That was new for me when I, when I first. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Heard it. 
Hmm. Okay. So you mentioned this season of anxiety years, eight years, nine years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. so what role did loneliness play in that, if any? Fortunately, Ian, I would say uh, none. And this is actually part of what I meant earlier when, say, when saying that if it were not for friends, I might not be who I am or be around today. My experience is that anxiety and cr- you know, sort of crushing panic, that, that bottom falling out of my life, was it, it became dangerous. I started to have suicidal thoughts. I started to not be right in my head. And I think I would have potentially gone somewhere very dangerous, except for the fact that very quickly, almost compulsively, I gathered friends around me and I said, this is what I'm going through. Now, fortunately, I had friends who were willing to listen and willing to walk with me. But it was those conversations that I felt were slowly saving my life. And so I I have to honestly say, fortunately, loneliness did not bring that on. But friendship is what brought brought me out of it. And that's a a big part of my concern for the modern church right now is that almost ubiquitously, most of us are experiencing really serious mental health struggles. Mm. Um, But whatever suffering it is, if you walk through it alone, it will crush you. Um, So loneliness is that exacerbating factor on top of life that often makes the difference of which way your health struggle turns. And that's why it's so important. Mm. Mm. Wow. Well, so um, in the book, you uh, like sort of lay out some strategies or ways that, that people can move toward friendship. Talk about that a little bit. I divide up the book into arts and habits of friendship. And I talk because, you know, friendship is not a habit, even though, as we've talked about, a lot of my writing was about spiritual disciplines and habits. But I don't think I can look anyone in the eye earnestly and say friendship is all a habit. It's as much art as habit. And so I write about 10 different arts of friendships and each one has a habit. So some of the key ones, for example, are the start book starts in vulnerability um, the art of opening yourself up and telling secrets. Mm-hmm. And that comes with the habit of confession, sort of building a habit of meeting with people and talking honestly. Mm-hmm. Another big one, um, chapter four, is the art of forgiveness and uh, the habit of saying sorry. And that is that was a huge one for me writing the book because I started to think about all my own broken relationships and how, you know, Mm. A lot of friendships don't work, right? Unlike marriage, you can lose a lot of friendships and still be healthy. But um, if you ha- if you have friendships, are always made of two ingredients: two uh, a center and another center. So if we don't learn how to practice forgiveness, to act out um, apologies, then we can't do friendship. Um, so that, and then I'll just give one more example. Another really big one was the chapter on technology because I think technology has really aided my friendships in some ways of intimate group chats or text chains and, and things. But they're also the greatest danger to deep relationships right now because I, I say technology is a snack, embodied relationships are the meal. And if you just eat snacks, we know what happens to your body. You have the feeling of being full without ever being nourished. And that can happen relationally to you right now. You can have the feeling of being known online. You can have the feeling of being followed or liked. You can have the feeling of your phone constantly buzzing in your pocket, and it means people are out there. But remember, loneliness is when you're around a lot of people, but none of them truly know you. You have this perceived feeling of being seen but not known. 
And when we live on these digital snacks of relationships, we start to deteriorate just the way our body does if we only ate snacks. Mm -hmm. So that's a big practice in the book is, is saying, keep up with your friends on texts, but make a rhythm of embodied conversation on a weekly-ish basis. Mm. Wow, man. This is like such a, not, I mean, not just timely, but, you know, such an important topic for all of us to begin to wrestle through and to inventory. You know, I, I'm pretty fortunate. I, I, I have a lot of great relationships, uh, a couple in particular that are, you know, very lifelong friendships uh, and and very confessional friendships. They're, they're friendships that, mm. you know, we, we, we have the kind of friendship that... Um, Hey Anthony, are you typing right now? I am. I'm inspired. He's I'm writing notes. stuff down. Are you writing notes right now? <laughs> yeah. Because over some... here, because over here, it sounds like a gun is going off in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's something. It's an idea I've been playing around with that goes along with everything we're talking about, and I was just putting it down again in words. All right, Justin, I just want you to know that we have done 300 shows probably. I think more than that now, right? 350 shows, Anthony? <laughs> yes. Oh, and that is the very that. first time I have ever heard him taking notes in the middle of a show. <laughs> hey, Ian, that makes me feel so special. Can you, you talk are about unique. Some more? I feel so <laughs> unique right now. You are so freaking Unique. I actually feel successfully unique, really, is what it feels like. <laughs> mm, and I feel envious that it's not about me. All right. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, we're talking to our new and uh, wonderful friend, Justin Whitmill Early, who has written this great new book called Made for People, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. Justin, man, great conversation. Thanks for, for being on Typology. Tell people how to learn more about you and connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun to uh, learn, learn some more important points about the Enneagram and to talk about this stuff. People can find me at my website, justinwhitmoreearly.com. I got an email list there that you can sign up for and follow along on whatever the next thing is I'm writing about. And you can also find me most present on Instagram. So a la the spiritual disciplines and limits conversation, I limit my interaction to some extent, but I, I regularly check and I do post a lot of reels and videos there about the habits I'm working on, about parenting, about friendships. So people are always welcome to message me there and follow along there. And I'd love awesome. it if you said hi. All right. Hey, Anthony. Yes, sir. That was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was rich. I'm telling you, I was, it was, uh, I was resonating with so much of what you say. I, I, I do a lot of feelings work and, and a good bit of it is around loneliness and our need to connect with God and others. So I, I was mm -hmm. particularly, uh, resonating. So thanks. Awesome. I love that. Yep. You bet. I, I, I totally love it. Well, Hey everybody, typology tribe, man, you know, you know how this show ends, right? May you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace, may you have healing, and may you have rest. Until next time. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. 